Season two of Love and Context podcast welcomes you. Get ready for engaging unscripted conversations with your hosts, Ben and Spencer. Our mission remains unchanged to explore the Bible through the powerful lens of love. In this new season, we'll embark on a journey together, unearthing fresh insights and gaining deeper understanding of how we can love God and live out our faith in practical ways. So let's dive into this season of Love and Context, where love and the context of the Bible intersect to transform our lives. Welcome to Love and Context podcast, episode two of Women in the Bible. I'm Ben. I'm not Ben. And this is Laura Fox. She's with us again. Mm-hmm. Hi. We had we had fun last week. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> the the nature of podcasts is that we actually recorded this one like 15 minutes after the first mm-hmm. one. Oh, magic's dead. Sorry, sorry guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's that's how it was. It just wore the same shirt the next mm-hmm. day, right? Well, you guys we, did too. And we are we are really faithful followers of Jesus. We only have one set of clothes that we wear mm-hmm. over and over again because we gave the rest to the poor. Well, you know, in Matthew, when Jesus is sending his disciples out, and he's like, "Don't take anything with you." Like that's how we live our lives, right? Yeah, we just we just don't own anything, and like this is my one sweatshirt, my one pair of pants, my king and country. This yeah. got off the rails so quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we are in the second second episode of Women in the Bible, uh-huh. and this one we tentatively titled as Women of Promise, and we're going to be talking yeah. about uh, women. women of promise. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's because a lot of times when we're talking about, especially in Torah, mm-hmm. we talk about like the the men that God works through there. But we're gonna we're gonna take some time. And we're gonna talk about that because that's not exactly how that works. I think that we've we've maybe overemphasized these uh, men of faith mm-hmm. and de-emphasized what the women are doing in the, at the same time. And for example, like Abram has multiple kids. Mm-hmm. Not just he has Ishmael, sure. He has Isaac, sure. But after that, he actually has a bunch of other kids. Only one kid carries the promise. Mm-hmm. It's the child that he has with Sarah. Mm-hmm. Rebecca has two kids, but there's one kid who carries the promise. Jacob has multiple wives, but there's one kid that carries the promise. Yeah. Now, ultimately, of course, all 12 become like tribes of Israel, but like there's one that actually is is being worked through to actually bring forward into the next next section of what God is yeah. doing in their story. Yeah. And it's not just the men. It is the men and the women together. And we're going to like talk about that a little bit today. Mm-hmm. Teamwork. Teamwork. Teamwork makes a dream work. <laughs> I, where's that from? I don't know. I know. Podcast. I don't know where it's Figure from. out where that's from and then send it to me. I'm not, not, don't send the thing to me. Just tell me where it's from. <laughs> it's probably from like something super inappropriate and like I just like referenced it. So the first figure I want to talk about is Sarah. Mm-hmm. Sarai is the is originally her name and it's changed to Sarah. Sarai is a name and actually means my princess. And it, it's actually interesting. There's a, there's a video and we'll link it in here. It has to do with the genealogy in Genesis 11. Yeah. That is uh, done by Bema with Marty Solomon. And they talk about how there is a midrash conversation about who is Sarai and why does God choose Abram and to partner with Abram and, and, and Sarai. There's this thing that happens in Genesis 11 where it says that it says that there are kids and there's one named Milka and there's another named Iska, who's by the way never mentioned again. Mm-hmm. But Iska is a Chaldean name that means my princess. Whereas Sarai is a Hebrew name that means my princess. So there's conversation about are Iska and Sarai the same person? Mm-hmm. Which then people are like, oh, he's marrying his niece. It's less weird in their culture than it is today, mm-hmm. right? It, and so like, I'm, I'm not saying that it's it's not strange. It would be very strange in our culture. It says that Abram and Nahor both mm-hmm. took wives. Now mm-hmm. in uh, Hebrew literature, whoever you list first is usually credited with making the decision. 
even if they make it together, if it's Abram and Nahor, Abram's the one who made the decision. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and would likely be the one who makes first choice. And so Abram chooses to marry a barren woman. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, why is that significant? What did we talk about last week? Yeah. Women are valued for what they can produce. What they can produce is children. Abram is choosing the woman that they know to be barren. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that, that's a significant choice as a patriarchal society where you're, it's about creating lineage and family. Mm-hmm. He now doesn't have the option of continuing his lineage with Sarah. Mm-hmm. It's only going to be through somebody else because she's barren. And I, I, was, I remember in that episode, Mario's talking about, he's like, wow, how do they know that she's barren? It's a completely different culture. You know, if somebody's barren, mm-hmm. right? Because as soon as they're not barren, they get married off because mm-hmm. they can produce children. So in, uh, we'll link that episode. I, I recommend getting in there. So barren women, you you kind of have to think about the impact of that that has on their psyche, right? Yeah. You have no worth. You have no value. You have no purpose. Yeah. And yet for Sarai, she's chosen. Mm-hmm. Now it is interesting in the story later with both Pharaoh and Abimelech, they both, it's like Sarai, by the way, must have been some kind of beauty mm-hmm. because she caught the eye of Pharaoh, Abimelech, and like Abram was aware enough of it that he is like, well, we'll just pretend you're my sister so that they don't kill me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Men. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And I believe I believe we did talk about this in the episode when God changes your name, but mm-hmm. we're going to talk about the other side of it where we're talking about, about Sarai. It is unlikely that both Pharaoh and Abimelech would have known that she was barren. Yeah. Right. right. They would have just seen her and, and maybe also, especially in the case of Pharaoh where they have multiple wives, he might have even cared if she was barren because mm-hmm. he's looking for, you know, trophy. Mm-hmm. Right. Brophy wife. But the point of bringing up the barrenness is I want us to put our put our finger on barrenness. Right. Like keep it, keep a track mm-hmm. of it because it's going to come up way, way often. Mm-hmm. And going back to last week when we talked about this curse, this curse that people talk about. Right. That they would have trouble getting pregnant. Mm-hmm. Right. This is barrenness. Right. So right away we see in the in the lives like we're having women who are having difficulty getting pregnant. Mm-hmm. We start to see a reversal of this in the lives of the women as they live into God's mission. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Also, the men that are associated with these women, they start to multiply in herds. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Isaac is going to plant a field mm-hmm. in famine and it's going to produce a hundred times what he plants. Right. right. Okay. So the, these imageries are going to come up over and over again, and it's not an accident. It's almost like it had a divine hand guiding it to write the Bible, mm-hmm. right, over what's going on. There is a section of the story of Sarah and, that I want to hold off on talking because I want to talk to, about her at the very end. So we're not going to talk about Hagar yet. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to reference her briefly, but we're not actually going to talk about her till the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. So in the life of Sarah... Like, so she is a barren woman who's chosen. She, she goes with Abram. Abram chooses to leave his father's household, which is just so dramatic, right? It's a huge deal. She goes with them knowing that their line is going nowhere, right? She's, she's wanted by Pharaoh. Later, she's wanted by Abimelech. He, she's called the sister, and she's just going with him through all of these different things. And eventually, they're given this promise that they're going to have kids. Of course, they wait until she's like 90, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, what women really, when they definitely want kids, when they're 90. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Like, mm-hmm. you were you were thinking, because you had your first kid, how old were you? I was 24. Yeah, you were thinking, I wish I was like 70 years older than this. Oh, at 66. <laughs> no way. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We were we were talking about when my, my mom came down when uh, she was with the kids uh, for a week, that she was like, she's like, I'm so tired. Yeah. I was like, yeah, that was, that was 24 hours. The, yeah. the, the yeah. reason... The, 
There is a reason the young have children. Trust me. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I'm even thinking, I was like, it might have been easier to have kids at like 23 than like 31. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I was like, that being said, like nobody on the podcast is having, uh, through <laughs> listenership is having, <laughs> has any sympathy for me. No. Yeah. One, because no. my kids are awesome, so they have no sympathy. Mm-hmm. And yeah. nobody on this podcast who is 90 wants to have kids. No. Mm-hmm. no nobody who's listening. Yeah. Who no is matter 90. how desperate you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like it's like 90, 99 is when how old Abram is. And so they're, they're quite aged when they're having kids. But what it, was the it, life expectancy during that? Well, so it says that Sarah dies at like 115, 120. I forget exactly what the text says. It's okay. over one. Uh, so we're probably looking in, in the range of like 90 to 120. Okay. So maybe the last third of their life. Yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. And so there's a story where uh, three visitors come by. Abram's tent. Now he's just received the sign of the covenant, which is circumcision. And so he's been circumcised and he's sitting by in the front of his tent recovering because <laughs> gently. Yes. It's much more difficult when you're older <laughs> than when you're younger. There's a reason why people get circumcised on the eighth day as opposed to the 90th birthday. Right. <laughs> and then he recognizes these three visitors. And in whatever capacity you want to have a conversation about it, like he recognizes that it's God. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, hold on, let me make you some food. And so he goes and he's running around, which there's a great uh, story about like how Abram's his, is full of generosity and, and love. But one of the things that's interesting is he tells Sarah to take three sias of fine flour, mm-hmm. right, to bake bread. Okay. Three sias of flour is like making 120 loaves of bread. Like he's not messing around, and uh, and uh, so she's supposed to take three seeds of flour and make it into bread, and then of and course three hundred loaves of bread. Yeah, like like three hundred loaves. Of bread. It's a lot. It's it's a lot of yeah. bread, mm-hmm. and uh, even if the bread in that time was not a loaf of bread, like we, it's think, still a lot it's of bread. Still a lot. Like however you want to define it, it's yeah. a lot of bread. And yeah. and so the there's a midrash in there where it talks about how Sarah was actually a miracle actually occurred that she could even make the bread, mm-hmm. okay. right? Because she makes all the bread for the visitors, sends food along with them on their way. But they're talking about the extravagant nature of hospitality. Now, mm-hmm. this story is actually one that Jesus references in the New Testament mm-hmm. because he says the kingdom of heaven is like a woman who takes three seas of flour uh, and bakes them into bread. Yeah. Now, the problem is that we don't necessarily call it seas in the Old Testament, like the language doesn't transfer over, but that is absolutely what Jesus is referencing. Mm-hmm. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like the hospitality that Sarah mm-hmm. okay. exemplified. Mm-hmm. Not, not Abraham. Yeah, and that's not too, that's not, we're not actually downing Abraham because Jesus talks about sure, Abraham a lot. Sure. But he's actually, he actually in his teaching is referencing something that Sarah did. Mm-hmm. I mean, she made all those loaves. Yeah, she made all those. Abraham did not make those loaves. I mean, mm-hmm. he didn't. He was, he was also probably in a, in a fair amount of pain. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so he had the worst birthday present ever. But you, you, think about, you think about Jesus making this statement. He says, you know, the kingdom of heaven is like that day that we went by Abraham and Sarah's house and she made us all that bread. Mm-hmm. And this hospitality, this love that we have for each other. And he, and you actually have the son of God referencing mm-hmm. a very famous woman in the Bible yeah, and talking about how this actually represents the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that is, that is a really cool thing that happens in her life, right? Well, 10, let's say 10 would have been good. 10 would have been great. I mean, yeah. okay, guys, here you can eat these and you can take- We're talking them. three people. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and take some for the road, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And, but- 300 plus? 
You ever, was your any of your family like one of those ones where you go over dinner and they send you home with like six, like bag full of food? Mm-hmm. Hey, when Les and I were first married, that saved us. We didn't yeah. starve to death. <laughs> <laughs> but it's but it, like that's what it feels like, you know. It's so like you, if I go to Grandma's house, I'm probably walking home with like a like a trailer full of food. And mm-hmm. and if the kingdom of heaven is like that, yeah. God's not just going to give us what we need in a little bit more. I mean, you're talking exponential. So whenever my family does like a big extended family gathering, it's all, it's usually like, and if it's going to be for multiple days, it's usually like, okay, you're going to do this meal. You're going to do this meal. You're going to do this meal. The reality is, is my mom has already bought all the food for all the meals. (laughs) Of course she has. And she's already got, she's already, she's already got the plan of every meal she's going to cook. Right. Right. And so, so, you know, we still do our parts. We bring our part, we bring what we have to the table. And then my mom, then we get there and my mom's like, no, I got it. And then she makes something like way better than what we were going to make. <laughs> right. Yeah. And happens every time, every time. And then all myself and my siblings were all like, why, why did we even, why do we even bother? Like, we know that, yeah. we know that she's going to exercise the hospitality she knows how to exercise. Right. And, and so it's, it's kind of like that where it's like, we're still bringing our stuff to the table, but God's already filled the table with everything we need. Right. Even better. Right. Even better. Well, and the fun, fun thing at this story is that that's when God tells Abraham, it's like, when, when I, when you come through next time, when I come through next time, like Sarah's going to be pregnant and she goes, ah, and it says, she laughs like, and to be fair, rightfully so. Yeah. Right. Right. Cause you know what? And she's like, she's like, man, is that, am I going to give a baby to that wrinkly old dude over there? Right. That baby is going to be as wrinkled as that dude. Like, <laughs> like that's the truth. Yeah. And so she laughs. Now, the ironic thing is that the name Itzhak actually means he she, uh, he laughs. Mm-hmm. Right? But there's this fun little conversation that, like, God and Sarah have where she's, he's like, Sarah, why did you laugh? She's like, oh, I, I didn't laugh. He's like. Yes, you did. Gives the dad. Yeah, the <laughs> Yeah, you did. Mm-hmm. I want to just, I want to keep an idea, like keep this in the back of your head, but she laughs, Isaac's name means he laughs. Okay. Mm-hmm. This idea of like something that the mother does that is actually picked up by the son, because I'm going to come back to that a little bit later. Then of course, Isaac is born. There's this whole thing with Hagar and Ishmael. We're going to get that into that in a little bit. So I don't want to s- step in there too quickly. Mm-hmm. And then Sarah, one of the last times that she's mentioned before they talk about her dying is right before Isaac goes up on the mountain. Mm-hmm. With Abraham, you know, the very famous story that's going on there. It, after Isaac is on the mountain, Sarah dies in a place where Abraham isn't. Mm-hmm. It says that he has to go to the place that she is, which I think is a really interesting thing in the text. Now, you can always read too much into that. Right? Mm-hmm. Like he could have been like visiting and going to hurt. But I also, there's probably a little bit of a rift that happens after that. Mm-hmm. Also, Isaac is not with his dad. Mm-hmm. Like he has to go and go and see his dad. Mm-hmm. They're not in the same place, which is just, it's very abnormal. Yeah. Right. There's actually a there's actually an excellent excellent episode of Bama where they actually explore this a little bit in some of the midrash in there. I'm just gonna link that in there for you guys to check out mm-hmm. because that's not actually pertinent to our conversation today, but it is interesting that like Sarah is just not mentioned at that point until she dies. Mm-hmm. Right. Isaac, from Sarah's son, has a wife and her name is Rivka. Rebecca is what we would call it, but it's Rivka. And she is found in a very interesting way. So Abraham realizes that he's getting old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> older. Older. Yeah. I mean, like he did have, he he's had, been old for a while. Now. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, so yes. I yeah. 90 or 99. One of the 99. 99. Yeah. He gets Ishmael at 90. 90. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Ishmael's older. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so he says, he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm getting old. And so he calls his servant. He says, Hey, I need you to go and find a wife for Isaac, but I don't want you to find him among the people who are here. 
right? Well, this is, by the way, something that Isaac is going to say to his kids as well. Mm-hmm. It says, I want you to go back and go to Laban's household and and look for one there. So the guy goes and he, there's this whole thing about like, Lord, if if you want me to find this person, then I'm going to ask them to drink. And they're not only offered to defeat or give me drink, but they're also going to offer to bring water for my camels. Right. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen a camel drink water? I have. <laughs> and drink. Uh-huh. And drink. And it says that he has camels. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there, I think, I think there's something like twelve camels. Yeah. Well, he's and, not traveling alone. You didn't in those days. It's not like he got on his camel and he rode right. to find a wife. Well, know? and so you're dealing with like, so I don't know if you guys have ever seen these wells. I, I probably will not be able to find a picture to put on the podcast. But if you look up some of these ancient wells that they go into, they're like these awkwardly carved steps that go down into this area where you actually go and draw the water. So you have to go down these awkward steps and then carry it back up. And your jars are only probably about this big. You know, probably, well, you got to be able to carry it back up probably le- a gallon or less. And so if you have to get like 130 gallons for 12 camels, Rebecca is is making a lot of trips up and down. And I love that the servant of Abraham is just like, I'm going to sit here and make sure she does every one because he's a little bit cantankerous because like he Abraham says, if you can't find her, then you're just being a step free. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like maybe he's like he's like, OK, God, I'll trust you, you know. I'm just, I'm going to make it like it's well, and you need to touch on that set free thing a little bit, yeah, because for Abraham's wealthy at this point, mm-hmm. so to be a servant in Abraham's household means you actually have access to this wealth and this provision, and to be set free means that you will no longer have that access, yeah. like, and so if you're a servant with nothing, and Abraham's like, all right, I'm setting you free, it's not, it's not like being set free from slavery yeah. after the Civil War in the U.S., right? It's not like that. Right. It's like, hey, you're now on your own, and you don't have access to the wealth of my household. Right. Right. So we, what you see in Rebecca, Rivka, is you see this same kind of spirit mm-hmm. that Abraham has, that Sarah has. Right. Uh-huh. Like this is what Abraham is actually uh, wanting. And this is why he's going back to his family back in back in Chaldea. Mm-hmm. Right. He says, you need to go back and find them here because these are the like this characteristic is what what God is actually looking for. This is who we are. And I want them to represent it is who I want for my son, Isaac. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that in Rivka, we actually see the exact same kind of generosity, the exact, exact same mm-hmm. kind of hospitality, just extravagant, because yeah. it's one thing to be like, hey, I'll give you water. And it's like. And I'm going to get 130 more trips for your camels. <laughs> That's a lot. Well, and didn't it say his the people that was with him too, his, his people? So it's like not only I, I can't remember if it says that or not, but I mean, I, I think there's I believe it does. probably a good implication that that would be the case. Mm-hmm. I know that when we were setting up to record down here, I had to take two or three chaps up and down our really nice stairs at the at the church. And I was also very tired. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we were done, we have to then take things back up. I can't imagine 130 times. Mm-hmm. Good quads. 130 times, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's just so many. One of the reasons that Abraham sends her there is actually, it's, it's previous in the book of Gen- er, in Genesis, it actually says that Abraham had been to- told that, that Nahor had had kids with um, Milka, and so now there was, there was actually kids in the line. Mm-hmm. So uh, once again, if you're trying to keep things, sounds weird here, but keep things in the family. Mm-hmm. And then keep your clan strong, connected. You, connected. This is the idea. You would actually go in from your or somebody closely related to your family. Mm-hmm. It sounds super weird now. It's not weird there. Mm-hmm. We can't mm-hmm. judge a culture by our current standards. Mm-hmm. The, the thought process actually behind that was that your genes were more pure if you kept them in the family. Yeah. And so the Egyptians held on to that thought process. So that's why when you had Egyptian dynasties towards the end of 
towards the end of almost every one of those dynasties, the last pharaoh usually had some sort of deformity because of the amount of incest that was going on. It's actually also why in mm -hmm. Levitical law and just Torah in general, there's a lot of instructions about not having sexual relations too closely to family. Mm -hmm. About like these things are not good. Don't mm -hmm. do this. Don't Instead do of this. explaining DNA and how you're going to end up with hemophilia, mm -hmm. you're going to yep. end up with all these things. So, Just don't do it. Yeah. And so modern science is actually yeah. confirming yeah. what God is commanding Israel to do in Levitical law. So one of the things that happens in uh, Genesis 15 is Abraham is given this blessing by God. He says that, look up in the skies and the heavens, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, I want you to hear, you hear this blessing that, that Rebecca is given from her family. Mm -hmm. Our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the cities of their enemies. Mm. Once again, you're having this thing of like population growth and like mm -hmm. that your descendants are going to be like the, you know, so numerous. Very much mirroring like this whole Abrahamic thing. Like she has hospitality in the same way that Abraham has hospitality. Now, Isaac was apparently, when they bring Rebecca back, he's apparently with his mother mm -hmm. or was with his mother before she died because uh, when he sees Rebecca, he weds her and then he brings us into his mother's tent, which is super weird to me. It's a weird turn of phrase, but it makes more sense culturally for them. Mm -hmm. So Isaac has been with his mother. That would be my implication from reading this is that even if Abraham is somewhere else, he was with Sarah before she died. Mm -hmm. Then once again, in the text, what comes up next is Rebecca is not having children. Mm -hmm. Barrenness again. Mm-hmm. The difference in, in this, what happens here, is that Isaac prays. Mm -hmm. right. Isaac involves God, and then God opens the womb of Rebecca, right? Mm -hmm. Because she was childless. And once again, we have God's people being fruitful when in relationship with God, like right? mm -hmm. following after God. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things that I think is really interesting, because I want to start drawing some parallels in what's happening here between Abraham, Isaac, and like these generations upon generations, because I, I started to pull some really cool things out. Ishmael the child of Hagar and Isaac are always going to be at war against each other. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. It's, it's a longstanding thing. Uh, if you are not familiar, like Ishmael tends to come into what is modern day Islam. Mm -hmm. Right. And Isaac is going to be with modern day Judaism. Uh, there's a little bit of conflict between those two people. I don't know if you're, you're familiar with that. <laughs> the world. Now, and there has been, been for a while. Yeah, it has been for a while. Let alone recently. Just now. <laughs> now, the interesting thing is, if you actually look at Rebecca, she has two babies at the same time, and they're, and they're, and they're jostling up inside. So she goes to see somebody, and the statement, the, they're, they're warring within themselves. And what they actually say, tell her, is they say, you have two babies that are warring within you, and that they're, they're fighting so for superiority. Mm -hmm. By the way, you should see that parallel between Jacob and Esau. Mm -hmm. And Ishmael and Isaac, mm -hmm. right? Now, one, of course, in one family as opposed to two different women. But this this symmetry of what's going on here. And in both of the lives of Sarah and Rebecca, it was the son that they favored. Now, because remember, when Hagar has a child, technically right. that belongs to Sarah. Right. Right? Hagar has a child. Ishmael would be technically Sarah's because of how, how the how families work in that time with like handmaidens and things. But she also has Isaac, who is birthed from her. She favors one son, which is Isaac, and sends the other away. In the life of Rebecca, she also favors one of the sons and sends one of them away, but in this case is the one that she favors, right? It was the son that they favored that God worked through, even when the fathers didn't agree. Mm -hmm. Because Abraham didn't particularly want to send Ishmael away, mm -hmm. nor did Isaac want to give the blessing to Jacob over Esau, mm -hmm. right? 
In the story of Isaac, by the way, it's a small note here. This is the, you have a repeat of the story of Abimelech too. He does the exact same thing his dad does. Mm-hmm. He says, oh, Rebecca's my sister, <laughs> which technically the, the word that's used for sister there is, is technically accurate, mm-hmm. but it's also definitely not, mm-hmm. yeah. you know? Yes. Yeah. So I know this is actually where, the, or right in this section, it says that uh, Isaac goes and he then plants in the time of famine. So in a time of famine, Isaac goes and works the field. And it produces a crop a hundred times. Mm-hmm. This is actually referenced in the book of Luke when uh, Jesus is talking about if a grain of falls to the earth and it produces a crop 10 or a hundred times. There's only one time in scripture that a crop is produced a hundred times what is sown. And that's actually with Isaac. Mm-hmm. That's a nice little callback in the scripture of what Jesus is talking about. He said, when you, when you lay yourself down, because this comes down the heels of Isaac laying himself down and on, a, on a couple of different cages. Like mm-hmm. Once again, go read it in Genesis. You will see the kingdom of God like come among you and, and multiply, mm-hmm. right? Because once again, what is the curse? The ground is cursed because of you. And yet Isaac, a man favored by God, right. plants and yields a hundred times in a time of famine. It's just huge. The last little piece that connects Ishmael and Esau is that Esau actually marries a woman from the line of Ishmael. Yeah, it's right after he sends yeah. Jacob away. Genesis 28. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He hears Isaac tell his son, he's like, he's like, tell the wife, like, don't let him marry like Canaanite women. I don't like them. Right after Esau's mm-hmm. married a Canaanite woman. And he's like, oh, okay, well, I'll go find him. You know, but like, there's a lot of connections between those two. Mm-hmm. Like if Esau and, or sorry, he's, yeah, Esau and Ishmael. Man, mm-hmm. it's those names. There's a lot of, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, then, and then you move on to the next couple women in our list that we're going to talk about, and that is Rachel and Leah. Yeah. And this is really interesting because a lot of times we just focus on Rachel. Right. And you need to throw Leah in there too because they, because when Jacob was going to wed Rachel, the dad was like, hey, seven years of work and you can have her. So he's like, okay. So he works for seven years. And then goes to the tent and then wakes up the next morning, which is interesting. And it's like, yeah, oh, okay, it took you all night. Let's figure that one out. Uh, and then he's like, wait, this isn't Rachel. They don't have nightlights. I uh, know, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Leah was probably told, keep your mouth shut so and, you yeah. don't hear the turrets. Right. And then, and then he goes back. He's like, this was not the daughter I asked for. And he's like, okay, well, you can have, you can have the other one just another seven years. All right. So. So there's this whole thing with Jacob being a little bit of a trickster, also being cheated out of some stuff, and there's, there's a whole whole lot of stuff. But with Rachel and Leah, there's a couple interesting things that you got to know is Genesis 30 is probably one of the weirdest chapters in the Bible. And I don't know if this is in the notes, but we're going there. I, I, I mean, there's I was going to say the weirdest. I mean, there's no, there's some like Rachel and Ezekiel. Yeah. They're talking about wheels and wheels. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Right. And I- yeah, so in Genesis 30, what you have is you have... Jacob's sons being born. Mm-hmm. It's it's the story of their sons being born. And what you have is you have this essentially this competition going on between Leah and Rachel mm-hmm. on who can pop out more kids. Mm-hmm. And Leah is clearly winning yeah. this contest. So Leah's winning. So Rachel's like, I'm going to get my servants involved. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Has it happened before? Mm-hmm. Servants being involved in. Mm-hmm. That didn't turn yeah, out well. Right? Yeah. Right? And so, and so the 12 tribes of Israel are actually born of four different women. Yeah. Because then as soon as Leah sees that Rachel is getting her servants involved, Leah's like, I'm getting my servants involved. And so Genesis 30 is this whole story about the 12 tribes of Israel being born from four different women. 
Well, and and getting there. Mm-hmm. So when we have Abraham, we have two two children mm-hmm. that are fighting. There is Isaac and Ishmael. Yeah. In the life of Isaac, there's two children who can't get along. There's Esau and there's Jacob. And then Jacob goes and he has two wives that can't get along, Rachel mm-hmm. and Leah, sisters, by the mm-hmm. way. And I was like, you do realize that's actually repeating the exact same thing, but now instead of two boys, it's two women. I think the moral of the story is don't spend too much time with your in-laws. Is that what it is? <laughs> well, here's the hard thing for Leah. Like, I really want to, I, re- I feel for Leah in the story, like, so hard. Because, like, one, God God hears her, opens up her womb because she's barren up to that point, and then produces mm-hmm. children, right? But Leah is, she is married to Jacob. The next day he re- recognizes that she's not Rachel. Mm-hmm. So the promise is for another seven years of work, but it actually says he completes his week with Leah mm-hmm. and then he marries Rachel, right? So he doesn't wait another seven years to get married. He actually marries Rachel right away after a week. Mm-hmm. So whereas uh, typically you would get married and you spend a full year getting to know each other, learning to love each other, all those different things. She only has Jacob to herself for one week, mm-hmm. one week. And that, that's just, that's hard, mm-hmm. you know, like everything about that. And like, she's called with like weak eyes and, and all these different things. And it's just, and it's, she was not. Jacob's beloved mm-hmm. wanted. But a lot of her children, by the way, one of her children, Judah, mm-hmm. is actually where we get the line of Jesse. Mm-hmm. It's where we get uh, the line of Jesus mm-hmm. with King David and and a lot and the things that come through that line. It is uh it is it is it is incredible what God does through the life of Leah. Mm-hmm. Now I will say that Leah is not is in this in this title where we call women a promise. While she is later a woman of promise, we're actually going to focus on Rachel mm-hmm. uh, on this on this particular one. Let me ask a question yeah, go ahead. about Leah really quick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Leah was not the first choice. She was not beloved. There's a lot of other things like mm-hmm. you were saying. You know, she was mm-hmm. nearsighted or whatever, mm-hmm. and she, right? Well, we guys has to do with her beauty. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a turn of phrase. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So she had more children... Mm-hmm. Right, significantly yes. more. She had, yeah, significantly more. And Judah, mm-hmm. which that's the lineage of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Did God bless her in that? Saw her, recognized. Do you know what I'm trying to say? I, I believe that you could absolutely say yes. God did absolutely mm-hmm. recognized her, saw her. Yeah, well, just part of the whole women of the, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it. It says that God sees Leah and enables her to conceive is actually what it says. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason that's significant, we're going to talk about Hagar, but Hagar calls God the God who sees me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this isn't the first time that God sees somebody, right? Mm-hmm. God is the God who sees people. Right. Even in their oppression. Because mm-hmm. uh, like whatever you want to say about the line of Ishmael to this day and whether or not like people warring and all those different things, God keeps his promises. Mm-hmm. And he also sees people who are being oppressed, which in that case Hagar was, which we'll get to in a few just a few minutes. And Leah, in a culture where women's purpose was to continue the lineage, yeah. Then in everything else, she didn't have. She had esteem, yeah, from the family, from the culture, from wherever she lived, by having these children. Yeah, and and I would probably say that she doesn't necessarily recognize the esteem that is is necessarily poured out over the next. 400 to right. 1200 years. Right. Right. Like she doesn't recognize like she did. But now mm-hmm. we recognize the line that came through her life. Mm-hmm. You know, God sees her, needs to conceive. Mm-hmm. And, and once again, wow, this connection between Genesis 3 between God and the man and the woman, mm-hmm. like God sees and enables her to conceive, in other words, to produce mm-hmm. fruit. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Leah gives birth to Reuben, Simeon, Levi, mm-hmm. 
and Judah. By the way, who who is Levi? Levitical priests. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say that. Yeah, the, yeah, the ones who are charged with actually mm-hmm. keep teaching the entire nation how to be a kingdom of priests. Mm-hmm. Like these are like, so you have the firstborn, you have Simeon, who I don't have anything good for, but you have the Levitical priests and you have Judah, mm-hmm. right? And like that, that those are all really significant figures and tribes mm-hmm. in in Torah, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the interesting thing to to your point, where you say she has she's having her children, and now Rachel's feeling left out. Like you know what she doesn't do? She doesn't go and pray. Mm-hmm. She goes and is like, Jacob, why aren't you giving me children? Mm-hmm. Right? And, and who else says that? Hmm. Sarah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But when I was mm-hmm. going through this and preparing uh, like some some bare bones for us to go through, I was like, man, there are, there are so many parallels that we could pull out mm-hmm. in these stories mm-hmm. that you don't see with when you don't look at the women. Mm-hmm. By the way, that's what happens when you don't look at the women is you miss a big part of the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so you have... Getting back to our context of our moon in the yeah, Bible, yeah. right? So you have Rachel repeating Sarah's mistakes. Mm-hmm. And then going, like, to, mm-hmm. to your guys' point, like, she goes and, hey, bring my maidservant into this, which then Leah also does, which is... Which, guys, whenever your significant other says, hey, let's bring another woman into this, it's always... It doesn't end. That, that is a bad choice. Yeah, that's a bad choice. It's not going to end well for you. Stop. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah just stop. Mm-hmm. It is uh it isn't really interesting too because there is uh there is a portion in here where I believe it's I believe it's Simeon, but one of Leah's kids finds mandrakes, mm-hmm. which is a food, right? And mm-hmm. Rachel wants the food. Mm-hmm. She's wants the food and she's willing to give Leah something that's valuable mm-hmm. in order to get the food. Mm-hmm. Well, where have I heard that story before? Mm-hmm. 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 Except instead of lentil stew, which I don't know why anybody would give up their birthright for <laughs> It's mandrakes, which I also don't. I've never had a mandrake. Have you ever had a mandrake? Yeah. yeah. But it's once again, and the, one of the reasons I want to point that out is because the things that God is doing with the men in these stories, he's also doing with the women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's very clear that it's happening to both. Which is that equal. Right, exactly. And so then it says that God listened to Leah because like then she's, because she's given up and now she has this blessing and she conceives again. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, it's so important. Uh, another thing that I think is super important in the story, I don't know if you actually noticed this, that it's actually been the mother's that are naming the children. Mm-hmm. That's not, that doesn't typically happen. That doesn't typically happen mm-hmm. because like Abram is told by God, his name is going to be Isaac, mm-hmm. right? So they name him Isaac. They name him Esau because he was red and hairy when he came out. Mm-hmm. And they named him Jacob because he was grasping the heel, mm-hmm. right? It wasn't, it was, that's why they named him that. And so there's no indication that it was uh, Rebecca that named him, right? But rather mm-hmm. that that's just what they were named because that's what they looked like. But then every kid that's coming through, he's going to be Reuben. He's going to be Simeon. All the way through to the last kid, when Rachel has the the kid, she names him. Oh, actually, hold on. I want to get there yet. Well, he names him, but I'm going to get there in a second. Mm-hmm. There's a statement in here that says, God remembered Rachel, mm-hmm. which also begs the question, did God forget? But, like, that's kind of tongue-in-cheek. Like, obviously, God didn't forget. Mm-hmm. I've always read it as remembered, you know, not that he forgot her, but in a sense of promises or that she's the wife or that she, you know it's like not acknowledged well that the turn of phrase the turn of phrase comes up in the old testament further along too yeah in exodus well it else comes up before that yeah in the story of the flood yeah and I remember noah yeah and the turn the turn of phrase isn't that god forgot the turn of phrase is that god is on his way yeah god's on his that, way that 
that that that's what it's really what it kind of references. It's like same with them in in Israel as in Egypt. It wasn't that God forgot them for four hundred years. Right. It's that He is now on His way. When, right. When you hear that phrase, God, that He then remembered, or yeah. God remembered. And if you're looking at a covenantal society where the greater party is is always mm-hmm. the lesser party is always at the behest of the greater party. Yeah. Right. You have signs of covenant. God keeps the sign of the covenant. Mm-hmm. He puts the sign of the covenant in a way that you can't lose it, literally cutting it into your skin. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> the fact that God remembered is significant. It means that God, the greater party, is initiating the covenant. Mm-hmm. That was what happened in the story of Noah. It's what happens in the story of the Exodus is what happens right here. God is initiating his covenantal work in Rachel. Mm-hmm. He remembers and he is enacting change. He's coming yeah. to do something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now Rachel has two kids. She has Joseph. Mm-hmm. who gets in trouble for a number of reasons. We talked about Joseph. Go check out the episode. Yep. But she also has a kid that she names Ben-Omai, which is son of my sorrow. Mm-hmm. And this is the only son, by the way, that Jacob names, mm-hmm. according to the text. He says, he changes his name to Benjamin, which is a great name. Anybody, <laughs> anybody would be honored to have that name. Mm. Benjamin being son of my right hand. Mm-hmm. Now, the interesting thing that I find about that is that Jacob changes the name of, of from Benomai to Benjamin. The first king that they have is a guy by the name of Shaul, mm-hmm. Saul. And you know what tribe he's from? Benjamin. Benjamin. Do you know, like, normally, like, what God wants for a king is he wants somebody who's capable of shepherding his people. Do you mm-hmm. know what Saul did for a living? Shepherd. He was a donkey herder. Mm-hmm. He wasn't a shepherd. Like, the... The obstinate, and apparently he wasn't very good because he lost his donkeys multiple times, mm-hmm. and that's how he found Samuel. <laughs> like, like he's like he just like went to a random house. He's like, oh, maybe I'll ask the prophet where are my donkeys are there, you know. But he was he was tall, and he was he looked like a warrior, and so he looked like what you think a warrior sh- like a king should be. Mm-hmm. But like his character, he was from the tribe of Benjamin. Ben tribe of Benjamin was small, you know. It was it was not significant. If you want your king, it should come from the line of Judah. Mm-hmm. It's. I don't think that there's accidents in the text. Mm-hmm. I think that those those pictures are clearly drawn. Mm-hmm. So let's let's go back and talk about Hagar because I, mm-hmm. I I really think this is probably a good place for us to come back to. So Hagar is an Egyptian slave. Mm-hmm. Now, once again, we want to point out that slave doesn't necessarily mean slave in the same way that it did in the context of the American colonies, mm-hmm. right, or European slave trade. But she was part of the household, and any children that she produced with Abraham would have been considered Sarah's. Mm-hmm. So Ishmael would have been considered Abraham and Sarah's. Now, whether or not Sarah really felt that way, it's pretty clear that she did not. Mm-hmm. Side note, though, when this happened, this is before the name change. Correct. So you have Abraham and Sarai. Yeah. And there's actually argument in the text on that of since there was a name change that happened, does that, does that actually nullify Ishmael as the firstborn mm-hmm. to Abraham? Because God fundamentally changed Abram's identity from Abram to Abraham. And so there's actually some powers little, nu- little nuance. I'm not going to go, I'm not going to, that's just a, go do some reading on your own. Well, and, 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 but even at that point is Abraham does have, and once he's Abraham, he does have kids with other women mm-hmm. wants to serodize. Mm-hmm. None of them are the kids of promise. Yeah. It is only when man and woman work together that the promise moves forward. Mm-hmm. Right. That's what's going on over here over and over again. Now, if you if you're not familiar with the story of, of Hagar and Ishmael, it's, it's Genesis 15 on. But there's there's some in, in that area. They talk about a lot of different things. But essentially. It's Sarah's idea. She says, hey, why don't you sleep with Hagar and produce a child or child for me? Because clearly I'm barren. Right. Once again, she doesn't ask God. Mm-hmm. She talks to 
Abram and says, hey, why don't we solve this this way? And uh, then, of course, Hagar produces right away and has Ishmael. And uh, then Sarah mistreats Hagar because she has Ishmael and she's jealous, mm -hmm. which is just unfortunate. Yeah. It's an unfortunate thing in the story. So not surprisingly, Hagar can't doesn't really like it and leaves. And she's going and she's wandering in the desert. It says she's that she's got Ishmael with her. She's got Ishmael with her. And it says that she doesn't really know where to, like, she's not going to be able to make it and realizes that's basically like, this is it. So she puts the kid down and then retreats about a bow's shot distance away. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. It's just a weird note in the, in the story. And it says that she's there and she's, and she is on the ground. And then it says that God hears the cry of Ishmael. Mm hmm the the Zedekah, that he that the cry of the baby he doesn't hear Hagar he sees hears Ishmael then he comes to Hagar and he says hey what's going on and you know she explains it and and he says if you go back this is what I'm going to do through your line Ishmael uh, is the son of Abraham yeah Abraham. I'm going to I'm going to do this this and this like yes there's, there's going to be like he's going to have war with him but he's also going to have a line he's going to have a have a nation and but I'm going to take care of you Hagar because even though Abram and Sarah screwed this up. I'm still going to take care of the promise. Mm -hmm. I'm still going to fulfill the covenant. Mm -hmm. I'm going to I'm going to make sure that things are taken care of on your your part. And Hagar, the Egyptian slave who is not a follower of Yahweh, says, "Now I understand that you're the God who sees me." And that is significant. Mm -hmm. One of the first people to recognize in the Bible that God sees them is not only not a Hebrew, <laughs> mm -hmm. it's a woman. Mm -hmm. Right, a slave woman, a slave woman, mm -hmm. somebody who is not used to being seen, mm -hmm. says, "Oh God, you see me," mm -hmm. which I think is a is a message of huge encouragement. By the way, for women today, when you are serving God and you don't feel seen, mm -hmm. God sees you. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, right. Mm -hmm. Not just women, men too. Like if you're if God is calling you and all these things, you you're not feeling seen. God sees you, and he's he's working his work through you. Yes. So trust him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason I think that's interesting is it says that uh, about the bows shot is it says that I, Ishmael grows up to be an archer. Mm -hmm. So Isaac's mother laughs and his name becomes he laughs. Mm -hmm. Ishmael's mother sets him down about a bows shot away. And he becomes an archer. Mm -hmm. How old was Ishmael at this time? I mean, young enough that he's crying. So, I mean, somewhere between one and three, I would guess, yeah. you know. Um it was before Isaac was born, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was before Isaac was born. And Ishmael's quite a bit older than Isaac. Yeah, he ends up being about 10, 11 years older, somewhere in that range. Because he, it, it, he's supposed to have uh, Ishmael when he's 90, and he has Isaac when he's 99. Yeah. So, like, we're, we're, we're just sitting, like, you know, nine, eight, nine years away, mm -hmm. older. Hagar, Hagar is a hard part of the story because we see God's grace in the midst of the people of God who didn't look the part in that moment, mm -hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I did, I, I, I do think that we see the faithfulness of God through the whole situation, oh, yeah. mm -hmm. right? Yeah. One last connecting piece between Ishmael and Esau, by the way, Ishmael is an archer, right? I, who would probably be a hunter mm -hmm. in, in that aspect. Mm -hmm. Isaac works the land near the mother's tent. Mm -hmm. Esau is a hunter. Mm -hmm. Jacob is near the tent once again, mm -hmm. right? Patterns that come up over and over again. Sarah doesn't want Ishmael to get an inheritance. Rebecca doesn't wants Jacob to have the blessing. Right? Mm -hmm. These things just come up all over and over again. And and all throughout these stories, we're told they're they're about these men in the stories. But 
I think I think that what we've established over the last forty minutes there's actually quite a bit about the women in these stories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's actually almost more about the women in these stories than there is about the men. Yeah. Yeah. And they're they're a significant portion of the story. And that's really abnormal for text of this age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That there's any stories in here about women at all is crazy. That the women are named is significant. Mm-hmm. Right? That the women are named and then there's information about them because you can give a lineage and go, you know, John married Betty and, you know, they had Bob and Bob married Susan, mm-hmm. you know. But the fact that there's actual information about them and not just lineage information, but emotional information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we know how they felt. We know how they prayed. Mm-hmm. We know the hardships. Mm-hmm. You know, in some ways, we actually know like physical characteristics of them because we kind of know physically what Leah looked like and what Rachel looked like. Mm-hmm. And we know that Sarah was attractive enough to appeal to Pharaoh and Abimelech, mm-hmm. and, as was Rebecca. In, in an old age. In old age, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, you got to think she was probably like 60, 70, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, so you're 66. So you went into, if you went into Egypt and the president of Egypt was like her, <laughs> you're like, all right. Let's go. I'd be a little surprised. Yeah. You know, You'd be like, Les, did you tell them I'm your sister? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, like, yeah. The women of promise, there, there's a lot of God is working through men and women together. And it's happening. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about the lineage of Jesus. And in the lineage in Matthew, it happens frequently that Matthew mentions the women that are part of the story. There's Rahab, there's Ruth, mm-hmm. there's Bathsheba, right? Mm-hmm. Like these these uh, stories where the people are like, oh, we can't talk about that. Mm-hmm. But all throughout the Bible, there's these stories of women and they're incredibly compelling. Mm-hmm. And we read over them so quickly without taking time to actually put them into context. Or we read them in our modern context and we don't take time to re- recognize how revolutionary it is what they're talking right. about. Yeah, right. In our last Q&A, somebody said, why is the Bible so anti-women? I said, it's not. Mm-mm. Far from no. Far from it. It's actually very pro-women. And when you put it in its proper context, you recognize that God is elevating both sides of the humanity spectrum. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, it's not just pro-women. Mm-hmm. It's actually, it's, it's more than that. It's pro-God working through women who are in the lowest class of life, who are, who are the most who feel the most hopeless, most helpless, who don't live in a way, don't live in a way that's dignified mm-hmm. or don't live in a way that's even culturally acceptable in the day and age that they're living in. And so God's not only putting value on the women, on the women of promise, which is what we're talking about today, but he's also putting value on the women who were degraded. Yeah. And so, so it, to say that the Bible is anti-women is to say that you don't actually have a grasp of what's going on in Scripture. Right. And culturally, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you have to understand the culture of that time mm-hmm. and what God did, which was yeah. not culturally, you know, mm-hmm. savvy or mm-hmm. accepted. Right. And mm-hmm. what he did and who he recognized and how... He elevated them. Yeah. You know, I mean. Yeah. I, I always think it's funny when we think we figure things out, God shakes it and puts it out. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, that's not what I'm doing at all. And he has fun doing it. He yeah. does. You know he does. Yeah, he does. Like, Oh, what? Well, it's like mm-hmm. the we're always moving further into what God is doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. One of the crazy things that I think about eternity is God is so infinite that we're going to be living through eternity on, on earth, uh, heaven and earth, right? Mm-hmm. With him. And we're never going to reach the bounds yeah. of like what it means to be with him. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like my brain can't even comprehend that because like, yeah. well, I mean, 
it's hard for me to comprehend like anything of that magnitude. You know, like I, I would, I would just like infinite doesn't make sense to me because I think um, our mind is is stuck in such a finite place. Mm-hmm. We're three dimensions. You know, uh, one of the things I always talk about with people, as I said, you know, we're like, oh well, God works exactly like this. Okay, well, we have an infinite God that we're trying to fit in a finite mind. Mm-hmm. So He's trying to give us pictures that are helpful, but let's be honest, mm-hmm. we're not going to get it completely. Yeah. And so that's where faith comes in and trusting the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Now, next week, by the way, we would love to have you here. Hopefully, hopefully we can get you back on a on, on another episode where we're just talking about the Bible. Okay. I, 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 I doubt, like that. Yeah. Do you have any final thoughts about women that you want to share before we? No, just that it, you know, God, you, Hagar, mm-hmm. you know, you are the God that sees. Mm-hmm. And if you're a woman out there that feels like you are not seen, mm-hmm. God sees you, mm-hmm. you know, and over and over. You know, God sees you. Yeah. And, you know. Mm-hmm. I love that. So next week, we're going to be uh, stepping into our, our next section, which is talking about women leaders in the Old Testament. So if you want to read ahead of us, we're going to be talking about Miriam. We're mm-hmm. going to be talking about Deborah. We're going to be talking about Esther. And we're also going to be talking about a person by the name of Hulda. And I've mm-hmm. said that name a bunch of time, and people are like, who are you talking about? Uh, I'll give you a hint. It's in Chronicles. And that was so, Les's grandmother's name. Holda? Holda. That's so great. Mm-hmm. I should have had him on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> but we definitely don't need three guys talking about women. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. And until next time. And that's a wrap for today's episode of Love and Context. We hope you enjoyed this engaging conversation and gained valuable insights into the powerful message of love within the Bible. We'd love to hear from you and continue the conversation. Connect with us by sending us your questions, thoughts, and suggestions to loveandcontext at gmail.com. We greatly appreciate your feedback and ideas for future episodes. Stay connected with us on social media for updates, behind-the-scenes content, and additional resources. You can find us on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and Facebook at Love and Context. Don't forget to hit that follow button to stay up to date with the latest episodes and join our growing community. Thank you for being part of the Love and Context family. Remember, love is at the heart of it all. Until next time, keep seeking wisdom, embracing love, and living out your faith in the context of today's world. You know, like, to the to that point, it's like... One more time. Hold on. Pick it up. Okay. I don't have an interpretation for that, by the way. I'll let you stop yawning so oh, people don't get bored with their own podcast. No, I'm just tired today.